Loved, cherished, comforted. Welcome to the podcast ministry of Our Resolute Hope, where you will find grace, not just a concept or a doctrine of grace, but a person, a person whose name is Jesus, a person who brings hope, a determined, resolute hope that can sustain you and empower you to live courageously in this fallen world. Join us now as we learn more about Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, and our life. Greetings, my friends, and welcome to the Our Resolute Hope podcast. Again, I'm John Russin, and I'm here today with uh, my dear friend, Pastor Frank Friedman. How are you doing today, my friend? Hello, my friend. Uh, we are... Uh... Trying to walk by faith and not by sight. <laughs> yeah, you said trying. That's a very good <laughs> verb, trying. I wish, uh, I wish we'd get it right a little more often. There you go. You know, dear friend, over the past couple of weeks, we'd had a lot of fun uh, going through these podcasts, and we've been addressing a very timely topic, the topic of fear. And we began with the statement that Father tells us more than 50 times in, in his word, to fear not. Mm. But that's not just a blind command for obedience. He began to explain and unpack those uh, those reasons why we should fear not. We looked at a bunch of examples of what happens when people fear because we're why kids, aren't we, aren't we, my friend? We want to ask why when things don't go the way we should. And I know you've used that phrase a lot over the years that we're why kids. Why do you say that? Well, I think, you know, it, it comes to an issue of knowledge. I think we tend to approach things that if I just know, then I can trust. It's like I tell um, God sometimes, you know, if you'll tell me what you're going to do tomorrow, I'll really trust you today. But that's not really faith. That's sight. And Father really wants us to, to know, not necessarily what's going to happen, but who's the Lord over what's going to happen? It's about trusting him. It's about being in a relationship. It's recognizing how good he is, how big he is. You know, John, you, you, when I was just thinking, when you were talking about this issue of fear not, as I was listening to you, I had this thought. That's really an issue we could almost say of worship. Uh, what am I giving my attention to? Isn't it true in a way that what really has my attention is what I view as a supreme issue in my life? And so in a real way, when I fear something, I'm really in a way almost worshiping it. It has my devotion. And God is the only one who's supposed to be worshiped. Whoa. So that, that's a fascinating thought. <laughs> Stunning thought. That's uh, that. It makes me just want to be quiet, Frank, and just ponder <laughs> that for a few minutes. Wow, that is, uh, that is, uh, wow. I'm stunned, really, really stunned. And as I, I think about that, it brings new, new light right now to a passage that I've got in front of me. First John four eighteen. We know this passage, but I found it in the Message version, and oh, okay. it really captures me. And this is how the message translates 1 John 4, 18. There is no room in love for fear. Hmm. Well-formed love banishes fear. 
since fear is crippling, a fearful life, and I might add here, fear of death, judgment, or illness, or poverty, or joblessness, you fill in the blank. Fear, my goodness, a fearful life is one that is not yet fully formed in love. So when you think about that, and you mm. put your mind and, and count the times that you fear, you fear something, or you're uncertain, or you're timid, uh, where's the love in that? Where's the focus mm. on Father? And if focus on Father is really worship, where's the worship when you're wrapped up in these fears and you lose your sight? Isn't mm. that true? Boy, that's a, again, that just goes right with what we were just talking about. You know, that when I devote to something, I'm really worshiping it. And when I devote to something other than God, I'm not recognizing that he's the one that deserves my devotion because he first loved us. Uh, we know that he loves us by the fact that he laid down his life. And I know in my own life that in when I've struggled with fear, it's really because my God is too small and I don't realize how big he is. And, and when I talk about how big he is, I have to include that thought of how vast his love is. I, I just had this verse pop in my head as I was listening to you. Jeremiah 31, I have loved you with an infinite love. And so I think, John, what, what you're really talking about is, is, like you said, it hasn't yet been formed. It's a, it's a juvenile love sometimes that we have. It's not an adult love. It's not a mature love. If it was, we wouldn't be walking in such fear. Uh, God's got whatever has come into our life, ultimately because he's got us first. But I don't always think like that. That's right. We don't think like that. And I agree 100%. Uh, I would be a close follower of my father if he only laid out his plans in front of me and got my stamp of approval. So if I put on my chancellor hat and I signed off on his plans, I'd be totally okay with wherever he took me. But so mm -hmm. far, my friend, he has not yet asked me for my signature. <laughs> but, he, but he guides because of his tender love, an everlasting love. He knows the end from the beginning. And so he sets us and he walks with us on these journeys. He knows exactly what's coming. He knows how we're going to respond. And he, he manages. He manages the circumstance so that his glory is revealed and then we can learn to trust him. I'm reading now a passage from Exodus 13. Mm -hmm. It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go. This is back when the Israel, uh, Israel children were leaving Egypt, that God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near. If you remember the map, Frank, you can go straight up the coast, shortcut mm. right up to Israel, right up to Palestine. But he didn't take them that way. And this is the reason. Perhaps the people will change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. So God led the people around the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children left. And so he knew what his children could handle. He knows what they couldn't. And he led them in a way where he could manage the circumstances and they could slowly learn to trust him. He knew they weren't ready to face the Philistines, 
and he protected mm. them. He shepherded them and he brought them into circumstances of his choosing. So that when I think of that and the times I feel overwhelmed, this passage tells me that, no, I'm not overwhelmed. This is precisely where Father wants me so that I can learn to trust him in this way because it's almost like it's the next step that's required. You seen that in your own life, Frank? Boy, that, that is a huge revelation there, John. Um, again, you know, I, I try to listen very intently when you're talking. And the thought that popped in my head as I listened to you is, was in James, you know, when he says we get the testing of our faith and then the testing of our faith produces endurance. And I had the, the word picture of, of a rubber band. And, you know, if we take that rubber band brand new and stretch it too far, it'll break. But if that rubber band gets stretched over time, it can get stretched further and further and further. And, and that's the thought that popped in my mind as I was listening to you. Our Father wants us to grow in our knowledge of Him and our understanding of the great love that He has for us. I, I, I thought about Jesus. You know, we're in Hebrews 5, it says He learned obedience through the things that He suffered. And so obedience was simply saying, yes, sir, to God. Uh, through what I've seen in the past, I'll trust you today in the present. And it's fascinating you read that passage because that's exactly what he was doing with those Israelites. He was stretching their rubber band faith and preparing them for future uh, greater opportunities to live by faith. That's huge. And, you know, taking them through the Red Sea uh, and through the wilderness, we've read those chapters and they grumbled and they mumbled and they complained almost nonstop. But it was the most loving, tender, shepherding thing that our father could have done as he brought them to a point where their fears were no longer a barrier to his life being expressed through them. Now, we mm. talked about this before when they finally said no, they wouldn't go into the land. And then they waited for 38 years till those people had to mm. be taken out of the way. Until the new generation would say, okay, I am ready. But sometimes God has to wear on us. Sometimes we say yes, sir, quickly. And sometimes we just dig in our heels, don't we? Mm -hmm. We just dig in our heels and say, I am not moving till you bring me back a photograph of the promised land and all the Philistines are dead. Then I'll move. Mm. And, you know, it's funny because we talked about this, too, that even when they did get that photograph and they saw those grape clusters and, and olives and all those wonderful things, that it was a land flowing with milk and honey, it wasn't enough. It wasn't and, enough. Was <laughs> so they, uh, and I think that's because ultimately they made the fatal mistake that all of us at one time in our lives, in fact, repeated times in our life. And that is that we think the fulfillment of what God has called us to is on us instead of him. One of my favorite verses is 1 Thessalonians 5, when it says, faithful is he who called you and he will do it. 
you know, if only those Israelites had had that in their mind, that boy, he's not calling us to go conquer all those cities. He's calling us in him and he in us is going to conquer those cities. We might be reading a different Old Testament. Indeed, we might. Uh, but I know that verse, Frank, and I struggle. <laughs> so knowing it and having it on the tip of your tongue and having it navigate down to your heart and to your feet, mm. uh, those are different expressions of knowing that verse, aren't they? Very much so. I think of Jesus you know, in Luke 2. You know, he learned uh, grew in wisdom and stature and all those things. And, and, you know, it's almost like God allowed, you know, it's fascinating. We're, we, the first man was created an adult, but ever since then, it's been a little kid who grows into adulthood. And that's kind of the picture, you know, if you think about it with Jesus words in the Gospels we've got to become like children and we got to depend upon him but then we've got to grow up and become adults in faith and, and you know the classic example of that of course is Abraham it took him hundred and twenty years of faltering faith but after hundred and twenty years he was finally a child enough which really meant adulthood in terms of faith in God to take his promised son up and be ready to drive a dagger into him. So we mature, and he almost, it's almost like he gave us the picture of a child to show us you're gonna be growing up in faith. It's gonna take time. Right. And many times the circumstance that we're currently facing, whatever that happens to be, seems the most daunting, seems the most challenging, seems the mm. biggest thing we've ever faced. Uh, but we know that our Father has not left us. He's right there with us. Shoot, he's even in us. And Father began this lesson for his, his Israelites in Exodus 14. And frankly, he set them up, Frank. Mm -hmm. He led his nation to a very scary situation. They camped by the Red Sea, mountains on two sides. That's a box to me. And then on the fourth side of the box, here comes the Egyptians, led by Pharaoh with a hardened heart. Now, I don't know how you feel, my brother, but on a scale of 1 to 10, my fear is a 15 right about now. And I am praying to God, God, cause an earthquake to do this, make them all get the plague, do something. Please stop this. Uh, and so even though we know that Father has got them, and this is the necessary next step for them, boy, it sure seems scary sometimes, doesn't it? Oh, overwhelming. It can literally paralyze you with fear. And, and you know, again, just as I was listening to you, John, I had a thought. Uh, you, you spur my thinking a lot. Uh, when you said, you know, that he set them up. And I had the thought of the, the feeding of the 5,000. You know, that's the only miracle recorded in all four Gospels. I think that's huge. That's showing us this one's a biggie uh, by the Holy Spirit. But John is the only one that records the sermon that follows. But when you put all four of those passages together, each one of them, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in their account of it, records a various aspect of it. And it's fascinating. But Jesus set them up. He said, they said, let's, it's late, let's send them home. And he goes, no, you feed them. And then it was, you go amongst the crowd and see what you can find. And they come back with five loaves, two fishes. And he, they finally end up just saying, just get them out of here because this isn't going to work. So he set them up. But here's, I think, the glorious thought, and it fits both 
the feeding of the 5,000 and the passage you brought up, it wasn't a setting up for failure. It was a setting up with an impossible circumstance so that they could find that God was bigger and greater than they thought he was. Huge. Yeah, setting them up for the next revelation of who God is. And he's got to have incredible patience because when you read the response of his people, they are screaming at Moses, Frank, because there are no graves in Egypt. You've taken us away to die in the wilderness. Mm. Why have you dealt with us this way? And here's the part that gets me. Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt? We told you so, Moses. You should have listened to us. Now we're going to die here in the wilderness. We know better. You should have listened to us. Don't tell me about God. I know what I need. And so God brought them to that point where he actually said those words. And then what does he do? He parts the sea. He leads the people through. They're on dry lands. Pharaoh's armies are killed. And then in Exodus 15, we see wonderful songs of praise. So what happened in the minds of these people, Frank? They're cursing Moses, and now they're dancing with praise. What's going on with them? Mm, I like to call it spiritual amnesia. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have a dear friend, and he says, what we need to do is connect the dots. And all those past times of God's triumph in our lives and connect those dots so that when we come to this new present tense dot, we'll have the faith to face it. But I find even in my own life, I may have 30, 40 past tense dots where God has proven faithful. But then I come to the one today and I go, uh, but that was yesterday. <laughs> you know? and, and is he going to be up to the demand today? And I think the other question is, you mean I can really trust you for that too? And boy, you appropriate that to that passage you just talked about, John. He could send the frogs. He could send the locusts. He could send the angel of death. Is he up to the demand of parting the Red Sea? And indeed he is. And that's what God, I think, is this has us in this school of faith to learn that, that God is always bigger uh, than we knew he was. And he is so patient with these, I'll call them kindergartners, mm -hmm. because they're just learning to trust. They're panicked. They scream. They get delivered miraculously. They sing songs of praise. Then the very next chapter, what happens? Mm. They are ranting again. Mm. They're ranting again. They have such short memories. Isn't that just like us, like little children? who acknowledge the blessing in the moment, but can't carry that forward into a deeper understanding and appreciation for the one who's going to help them take their next step. Wow. You know, John, I'm so just proud of the Holy Spirit in you bringing up that word kindergartners, uh, because we could appropriate that to that passage in the Old Testament in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And I would put it in your words. Fear is kindergarten. And then if we go to that passage you quoted earlier, 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. 
entering into the love of God is graduate school. So the fear of the Lord is kindergarten, but we've got to grow up into the graduate school of learning how great his love is for us. And that's what this is all about. You know, if I had to put a, a word picture to what you and I have been talking about today, we're in school. And it's almost like all of these events of life are designed to promote us to the next grade level in terms of knowing who God is and how precious we are to him and that he's going to meet us where we are with all that he is. So what a great choice of words, kindergarten. Uh, well, as a university, former university professor, that's a, that's what I think about when I think of somebody who's just learning to navigate the ins and outs of the world. And my young grandchildren exhibit that to me uh, on a daily basis sometimes. And it's interesting because if you look at a young child, their depth of understanding is not really expansive. And so they don't really respond to reasoning or deep thinking. And maybe that's why when God begins to lead his nation, you see ooh-ah things like mm. sea, drying the mud in the bottom of the sea, keeping everyone alive. Moving a little further, the water is made sweet by doing what? Throwing a stick into it. Really? Mm. Uh, speaking to a rock for water. Manna each morning. Quail in the evening. You know, this is, it's almost like you have to do the ooh-ah stuff to get their attention so they'll see the deeper truth behind the love of a father who wants to be the provision for all that they need. Mm. That's, it's like training their first steps, but look deeper, look deeper, look deeper. Look at the one who's doing the provision and learn to follow him, not what he does for you, but to follow him. Wow. You know, years ago, if I can bounce off that thought, I shared it this way. When my little kids were little and they would say to me, I love you, daddy. Can I have an ice cream? That really didn't bother me <laughs> because they're little kids. But if Ben came to me today at 35 and said, hey, dad, I love you. Can I have a hundred? Uh, that's going to bother me. Uh, not because I don't want to give him the hundred. But, he's, but because he's only coming to me for what I can do for him in that moment. He's not coming to me for me. And, and my point is that I want to do more than give him $100. I've got a lot of life's experience and a lot of hard knock wisdom. And I want to be more to him but he's not looking to me for more. That's why it'll bother me. And I think that's exactly what you've been trying to say in these last couple of minutes. God wants to be more to us than oftentimes we're willing to let him be. And that's tragic on our part. And, you know, I just think that's the thing that grieves a parent's heart. When you want to be more for your kids than your kids are willing to let you be. Oh, yes. I've raised five and uh, now I have seven grandchildren and it's, it's hard. It hurts. Mm. I know exactly what you're talking about. Oh my goodness. This, this uh, past few weeks, my friend has been, I think revealing for both you and me, it's been stunning to me as mm. I've uh, entered into this conversation. And I've, I prayed this week and I asked father to show me wrap up 
if you will, please, sir, wrap up what all of this fear is really rooted in. And this is where he took me. Hmm. He took me to the prophet Jonah. And hmm. I said, well, that's odd, sir. Why would I go there? And then my mind goes back to a phrase that I said just a few moments ago, when the people were ranting, when they were trapped in the canyon and they were screaming at Moses, they said, we know better. You should have listened to mm-hmm. us. And so that we know better part, my friend, it haunts us because we second guess God. We don't stand aside and let him do what he wants to do and trust him. So I think of the prophet Jonah and uh, most people get hung up on the fish The story doesn't have much to do with the fish. It has to do with the heart of a man and Mm. the grieving heart that he has because he refuses to acknowledge the ability of God to do what is best. Mm. The book ends, as you know, with him sitting under a dead shade plant and saying, I do well to be angry. In fact, I'll be Mm. angry until I die. That's how much I know better than you, God. And when we walk in fear, we're saying, God, I know what your scripture says, but I know better about this one. I've got to manage this Mm. one myself. And my friend, you and I have known each other for many years, and we have both walked in those shoes, haven't we? Yes, we have. And, you know, John, people ask me sometimes, Frank, as a pastor, do you really believe in the book of Genesis and the seven-day creation and all that, Adam and Eve? And I say, well, I used to believe it. Now I tenaciously believe it. Because that really provides the answer for what just happened with Jonah. We ate from the tree that that the one time the enemy told the truth. When we did it, we'd become like God. And so we think we know better. We function as God. And that's the problem. And this whole reality that we learn to walk in as believers is we learn to refute the lie that we are God and we come back from our temporary insanity and recognize that God is God and he is a father, we are his children. And like that old TV sitcom back in the 60s used to say, father knows best. (laughs) Yes, and sometimes I begrudgingly make that statement, but I know in my heart that it's true. And uh, our listeners as well, Um, we know you face, you could be facing right now some very challenging situations. And I want to pray for you today. So Frank, if I may, I'd like to wrap us up and like to pray for our listeners and for you and your family and for me and my family. And I want to pray for us. And I want to take this prayer from Galatians 5. My prayer, dear father, is that we would choose to walk in freedom from the paralyzing effects, the damaging effects that fear has in our lives. I pray, Father, that we will see you like we've never seen you before, that we'd learn to trust you like we've never trusted you before. Mm. Father, I pray that we will choose to gulp, grit our teeth, and dare to trust you like we saw Ananias of Damascus trust you last week when he said goodbye to his wife, not even knowing if he's going to come home. He trusted you, Father. And because he did, his name is now recorded in Scripture, and he gets a little bit of glory for every Mm -hmm. person who hears the message of Christ's life. So, Father, I want to be like that Ananias, and I pray for each of our listeners that they would grit their teeth, hang on to you, 
but the finger grip of faith and trust. Make it so, sir. Amen. Last words, my friend, before we sign off. Well, I would just think of Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, you know, uh, when those circumstances come our way and we're tending to look horizontally, Proverbs says, trust in the Lord, go vertical. Don't lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, yield to him and he will direct your path. What a great, great truth. Indeed it is, my friend. Again, this is John Russin with, pa with Pastor Frank Friedman, encouraging you to walk close. When things get scary, leaning closer. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Instagram under Our Resolute Hope. And check out our website, OurResoluteHope.com. Bye-bye for now. Thanks for listening. We trust that you've seen Jesus today. And you know that no matter what you're facing, He offers you Himself, His own life. He wants to live His life with you, in you, and through you as you trust Him and walk by faith in this troubled world. You've been listening to Our Resolute Hope Podcast. For more information, find us online at OurResoluteHope.com and check out our social media channels under the name Our Resolute Hope.